As we begin today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse reminds us of this one simple truth. Even when we're following Jesus faithfully, when we're doing everything right, that doesn't entitle us to a cakewalk. Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, this is important to understand, unexpected storms will come. From Grace Bible Church, right here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our program today. We've been in the middle of a series called Marriage and Family, and today and next week, we'll take a break to spend some time here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, living out our faith in the face of fear, a rather timely message in light of the crisis we find ourselves in the middle of. Let's catch up with Pastor Steve Converse now for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. I think we've all been affected by what's going on around us, either directly or indirectly, by this virus and how it's affected different people in different communities. And I think as the world faces a lot of fear and even insecurity, we see it across the board. There's not a better place to be together with God's people. We want to reflect on God's character. We want to reflect on God's sovereignty, his providence for us, uh, really on the goodness of God that we know to be true because we know him in a personal way. I think this virus and the situation that it's caused is, is serious. We should all practice, like I said, the best of personal hygiene and health practices as we weather through this storm. But make no doubt about it, this is a storm. (laughs) It shall end. It will come to pass. I remember when we used to visit our family in Florida. Occasionally, while we were there, they would have warnings of foul weather coming in. They would make major changes to the way things went on as the storm approached. And inevitably, the, the mere mention of a storm headed toward Uh, Florida is where this was, would spark sudden fear, even panic in the hearts and minds of a lot of different people who lived in proximity of this approaching storm. Folks would make runs to the store and, you know, the commissaries and the grocery stores, their their shelves would be empty uh, because they wanted to prepare so they could hunker down in place or even evacuate if needed. And more times than not, in the area at least that we were located in, we did all this fear and preparation and panic and you saw it going on, the storm ended up just being that, a storm, a big storm maybe with lots of blowing wind and falling rain and streams and creeks that maybe rose and flooded, but eventually the storm passed. That's the good thing. And be sure this storm will pass as well. Uh, It's very inconvenient for a lot of people. I know that some of you have travel plans. Wife and I had some travel plans that had to get uh, canceled. It's also inconvenient for many because maybe they've been touched directly by this virus. It's not just canceling of a trip, but maybe they've contracted the virus. Uh, Maybe some, this number has been small so far, have died from this virus. And many have been uh, affected adversely, financially, from the stock market, all these things. 
And we need to remember to pray for, for everything that's involved with this, this thing that's going on, but especially for those who are directly affected by this virus. It's a good time to re- remind ourselves that in these uncertain times that our confidence, our trust is only found in who? In the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God himself. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 32 makes it very clear to us, and I'll just read this for you. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, but it, it informs us that God reigns, that he rules over everything. And he really has predetermined that which is good for all of us within his kingdom. He says in verse 28 of Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that's all past tense. In the mind of God, there is no time. It's completed. That should allow us to sleep at nights. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ and our sins have been forgiven and we have come to Christ for salvation in him alone, then all those things are true of our present state, our present relationship with God. And Paul asked the question in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? See, if we allow it to fear and panic, will dominate. You see it all around you, I'm sure. Just go to the grocery store, like Ken said. Someone said they went to Costco, and there's a line out the door, and fighting over toilet paper and water, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And don't be surprised. I mean, don't forget, it is an election year. Some people are fanning the flames of this, and we have to be careful, clearly, because this virus is real, it's not something that's a figment of our imagination. But at the same time, the health professionals, at least at this point, say that even if you contract this virus, unless you're in a questionable state of health yourself, you'll be okay. You'll survive this, even if you get the virus. So there's no need for fear and panic, but it's really an opportunity for us to use our faith, our faith in Christ. I'm reminded of Many times in the Psalms, especially David, when he faced fear, he pointed us to his trust in God. He says in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God. I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Or what can a mere virus do to me? Think about it. the worst possible case scenario is you get the virus and you die. If you're one of his children, guess where you're going? You're going to be with him. So this is really an opportunity for us as the body of Christ to encourage, to strengthen the people of God as well as it really provides an opening for the gospel to be shared for those in our community who have not responded to it yet. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, if you're anxious, if you find yourself in a panic mode, remind yourself of this. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace 
Because why? He trusts in you. Um, That's why I want to speak this morning on this passage in Matthew chapter 8. Living our faith in the face of fear. Living our faith in the face of fear. The theme really of this passage, it teaches us seven principles that I've written out there for in your outline about trusting our sovereign Lord while we're in the midst of trials or tribulations or the storms of life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but as I read through this passage, I was reminded that when you look through the Bible, you see stories of God's great acts of mercy in the Bible. Over and over again, he, he, he reveals to us his acts of mercy. And oftentimes, it involves people who are in a boat for whatever reason. And not only that, they weren't only in the boat, but they were caught in a storm at sea. There's good reason for this. When you stop and you think about it, if you've ever been in a boat that is caught in a storm at sea, there's probably nothing more out of human control than a storm at sea. You can't do anything about it. The waves keep coming. The wind keeps blowing. The rain keeps falling. And there's nothing more helpless than a boat being tossed about in the middle of a storm out at sea. It's really a a picture, I believe, that God provides for us. It's an illustration of being completely subject to grave circumstances that are utterly outside of our control. You can't do anything about it. And so it's it's a perfect illustration of being suddenly caught at the mercy of trying or tribulation or difficulties or even maybe dangerous circumstances. Circumstances in which we are helpless, utterly helpless to do anything but cry out to God. I mean, we read that God brought a sudden windstorm down on the boat back in Jonah chapter 1 in which he was traveling. You remember the story. We don't have to turn there. We've all become familiar with the, the story of Jonah and the tough and experienced sailors who were with him in the storm, they became terrified. You know, when you're on a boat and the captain of the boat or the people in charge of the boat are terrified, you got a problem. But when everybody who's in charge of the ship is in panic, as it was in the case of Jonah, you definitely have a problem. You read in that account how God brought a sudden windstorm on the boat. They had all this stuff, and they became so terrified, these sailors. What did they do? They started crying out to their gods, their gods, not the true God, but they cried out to their gods. And finally, Jonah said, throw me overboard. So they threw him overboard. And when the storm suddenly ended, in Jonah 1.16, it says, they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. In other words, God used that storm in their lives to bring those sailors, salty and, and, and experienced as they were, to the end of themselves and eventually to their knees before God by being caught up in that storm at sea. I'm sure they were caught up in other storms at sea. They were sailors. It was probably commonplace. But there was something about this storm that drove them to their knees. Or you can even read in Acts chapter 27 where you find that Roman soldiers and sailors who were transporting Paul to Rome, were also caught in a storm. We remind ourselves of that. You can read that on your own. 
And they wouldn't listen to Paul's warnings about not venturing out. But by the time the storm had had its way with them, even the Roman centurion in charge was taking orders from the apostle Paul. Paul prayed. And you know what? All 276 souls on board that ship were spared. God used that storm at sea and that ship to get everybody's attention. Well, this morning we come in our passage to one of the most famous storm stories in the Bible. All the elements are there. The sudden, the unexpected storm, the boat helplessly being tossed about, and the passengers who were terrified and who feared for their lives. But this time, this time, guess who was in the boat? This time, Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, the incarnate Lord, was present in the boat. And you know what? His presence made all the difference in the world. This story teaches us that Jesus, the Lord, is the Lord of all storms, all trials, all tribulations. He shows us how we can trust him to see us through the storms of life, no matter what they may be when we encounter them. So let's look at this morning, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, how we can live our faith in the face of fear. Matthew writes in his passage, and when he got into the boat, his disciples, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. And he beheld, and and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? See, here we see the supernatural power, the divine power of Jesus Christ on display. This isn't the only place, by the way. We saw, when we went through the study of Matthew, a leper fell before Jesus saying, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Guess what? Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. Guess what? He was. He was healed instantly. That's the beginning of this chapter. Or how about the time the centurion asked Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant? Jesus was able to announce the servant Healed from a distance. He didn't even visit there. Or there was the time when he came up to Peter's mother-in-law, who was gravely sick with fever, and he took her by the hand. And what did he do? He healed her. You look throughout the Gospels, you see multitudes of sick people, multitudes of demon-possessed people who Christ heals. Why? Because he has the power to do so. He has the power to do so. See, the highlights of this story really are things to just wonder about. I mean, here is a man in a boat in the middle of a storm, and he stands up, and he orders the wind and the waves to cease, and it, it happened. There was a great calm in its place. And there's, there's no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had them under his sovereign control at that time. That shouldn't surprise us. He has the authority over everything on this earth, the Bible tells us, including 
even the most unpredictable, uncontrollable things in our own lives, like viruses. <laughs> See, this same Jesus who exercised complete authority over that storm on the Sea of Galilee that day also has authority over all the storms in our life, no matter what they may be, that may strike us. Maybe they'll strike us today. Maybe they'll strike us tomorrow. He may, in his wisdom and in his love, allow us to experience them, but they're never, they're never outside his divine control. That's so important for us to understand. With nothing more than a word, he is able to bring that storm to an end and replace it with a great calm. So as long as he's with us, in the midst of the storms of life, we will never have that reason to fear. Well, as we look at this passage, I want to draw out just seven principles. Seven principles that will teach us about trusting our sovereign Lord during tribulations, during trials, during storms, during times in our society when people are panicking. Look at what it says in verse 23. We see the first principle Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, this is important to understand, unexpected storms will come. Even when we're following Jesus faithfully, when we're doing everything right, that doesn't entitle us to a cakewalk. Matthew begins by telling us, and when he got into the boat, Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I mean, this is significant. I mean, the disciples at this point in time have a rough idea, but they didn't have a profound idea of who they were following. Their faith was small, but they were following. And they had actually, listen to this, they had left their houses. They had left their families. They left their careers, their occupations, to be expressly with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're quick to criticize them in this situation. But they've already done a lot more than we will probably ever do in following Christ. In chapter 4, we're told that Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. That was their profession. They were fishermen. Verse 20, in verse 22, James and John left the boat and their father and followed him. In chapter 9, we see that Matthew, the tax gatherer, was a very um, profitable business. We'll say it that way. It says that he left his tax collector's booth and followed him. The disciples had much to learn about what being a disciple meant. But they had heard Jesus' call, make no doubt. They had to some extent trusted him and they obeyed his summons to get in the boat. They followed him. They passed through that small gate. They were on that narrow path, that path that leads to life with Jesus Christ. Which begs the question, (laughs) are you on that path? Have you left all lesser loyalties to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? See, it's not enough, beloved, to be merely impressed with Jesus. It's not enough to be impressed with who he is as a person or to be impressed with his teachings in the Scriptures. It's not enough to be impressed with his miraculous power. See, the vital thing is actually to follow him. That's what we're called to do. And that word follow really connects us with the passage just before that in Matthew 8, verses 19 and 20. 
It talks about two men here. Luke talks about three men who were going to follow Christ. Now remember, there was a lot of people following Jesus Christ. That word disciple simply means a follower or learner or pupil. The word itself has no spiritual connotation. You can be a disciple of Jesus Christ or you can be a disciple of Mickey Mouse. It doesn't have any spiritual meaning to it. It just means that you're a follower, you're a learner, you're a pupil of that individual. And we see here in in Matthew 8 in the previous text, verses 19 to 20, you see a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. You think Jesus would have said, come on, let's go. What's he do? He says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wow. That doesn't seem like a really good response to someone who's coming to follow you, Jesus. When I used to teach young people as a youth pastor, I I called this guy Mr. Too Hasty. (laughs) Mr. Too Hasty. See, there's people like that in the church today. They come to church and then, oh, I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. They don't have the slightest idea what it means to follow Jesus. And when Jesus turned to him and said, hey, you know what? I don't have anywhere to lay my head. The indication is that person said, oh, you're not staying at the Hilton and, you know, the finest place. You think with all these people and all these supporters, you would be staying in a five-star hotel, Jesus. No, I don't even have a place to call my own. Well, Mr. Too Hasty made that commitment a little too quick. And the idea is that he didn't follow Jesus as a result of what Jesus said to him. But then down further, you see the cost even further. It says another disciple said to him. So he's a follower of Jesus. That's why I said this word disciple doesn't mean they're spiritual people. He says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And you might say, well, that's not an unreasonable request. If his dad died, I'm sure he's got to go bury his father. Well, the indication is his father didn't die yet. The language kind of, and the the context kind of points out to us that this guy's looking forward to his inheritance. (laughs) And so this is Mr. Too Hesitant. (laughs) He offered to follow, but he said, hey, you know what? My dad's going to be dead pretty soon, and I'll have lots of money, and then we can really help you out, Jesus, with all these funds. So let me go deal with that first, and then I will follow you. See, both men had to confront the difficult challenges that come with following Christ. Luke, in his account in chapter 9, gives us a third individual. He's not mentioned here, but he is in Luke chapter 9. I call him Mr. Too Homesick because he wanted to go and say goodbye to his relatives and then come back and follow Jesus. And you say, well, that's not an unreasonable request. But it is when Jesus says, follow me. Follow me now. See, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. (laughs) You don't wait. You don't toy around with eternity, beloved. You don't know if you'll walk out of here alive today or next week or in two weeks. We don't know when our time is up. See, a disciple is someone who follows Christ, leaves everything and follows him. It means you go where he says to go, you do what he says to do, and you believe what he says to believe. We don't have the privilege of doing our own thing. Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, unexpected storms will always be around. But 
we do serve the author and finisher of our faith and all that we know and see that is tangibly in front of us, the God of this universe. We are out of time today. We'll close out our program here and remind you that, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us either through our website or by simply giving us a call here at Graceful Truth. The easiest way to get in touch with us would, of course, be through our website, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. Always reach out to us by phone if you wish at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also download our app. Simply Google Grace Bible Church Redwood City or follow the link off of our website, gracefultruth.org. As these are uncertain times, and we find ourselves wondering just what kind of freedoms to expect tomorrow, we would invite you to visit our website, gracefultruth.org. It's there that you'll be able to learn about the updates when we will get together as a congregation here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and what we'll be doing in the meantime. Again, you'll find that information at gracefultruth.org or gracebibleonline.org. Either one of those websites will provide you with the added resources to continue to feed your soul during these challenging times. And in the meantime, would you continue to pray, not only for us, but other churches here in the Bay Area, and pray that we would find ourselves in every opportunity giving an answer for the hope that lies within us in these seemingly hopeless times. Thank you again for spending time with us here on Graceful Truth. And until next week, God bless. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.